I mean, it's just absorbed in my flesh. Have a go. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it's horrible. Like I just like when I when I came to Australia, like I had really good English, like really like spivo, like high class, like Queen's English articulate, because like they made us like speak English properly. But it's slowly getting it's just slowly getting bashed by Australian pronunciation. It's just getting wrecked. I never lived in Sierra Leone, which is really weird because I am and I feel Sierra Leonean, really, honestly. I speak two Sierra Leone languages fluently. I I dress like them sometimes when I'm in the mood. I love the food. And when my parents raised me in Ghana, it was almost like I had this weird cultural bubble. I did not in- interact with Ghanaians. I did not speak any Ghanaian language. And I came out of it more Sierra Leonean than ever. And so when I went to West Africa to meet my grandparents for the first time in my life, I spoke to them in fluent Mende and they freaked out. They were like, whoa, what the hell? <laughs> like, you haven't, you weren't born here. And it was really weird. I was sitting in the market, like I think I was bartering or getting aggressive. And um, these, you know, bunch of boys who thought they were really cool came up and said, oh yeah. Um, and my auntie was trying to like pull, oh, she's a Westerner card. And so I was like, yeah, I'm from Australia. And they're like, you're such a liar. I've heard you bartering. Like, I've heard you speaking Monday like that. You're just a village girl that dressed up. So on the other, on, on one level, I'm like, who is this person? And I noticed that, you know, when I experience intense pain, like when I stub my toe on something, I never express it in English. I express it in Monday, which is my mother's tongue. Agawaji, which means... Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It just it's literally like <gasps> it's like panic. Ah ah goji. So it's really weird. So I'm I'm Ghanaian, uh, but I'm not. And I'm Sierra but I'm not, and I'm Australian but kind of not because I'm too Sierra to be Australian. So it's a really tricky cultural navigation world and I think that's why I have a very, very different perspective to most people because I'm just like I really don't have a, a sense of 100% place of belonging because all of those artificial uh, places, they're just constructs. They actually don't, they actually do nothing for me because the place that I feel most connected to, I've only been there once. Um, and so I've started to construct my own spaces of belonging and through art, through family, through community and connection, here in Tasmania um, and you know, in Sierra Leone, I develop my own sense of place because I realise I really cannot be reliant on the world or a passport or a governmental entity to tell me where I'm from or where I belong because they tried and it failed. So it's up to me to decide. Culture is very important to me. I mean, the older I get, I think the more African I become in my ways because I just realise how unique 
the perspective that culture brings to every situation. But I do understand that culture needs to be evaluated over time and re-evaluated and, and it needs to change because we're, you know, we're changing. I've always been interested in um, femininity, femininity, um, politics, the black body. I've, I've always been interested in it. I wrote this book and I wrote it as a way for people to understand the emotional experience of, you know, having your clitoris cut off. And that's completely weird for most Western perspectives. I totally get it. And it's weird for me because I am blessed not to have my clitoris cut off or other parts of me mutilated. But it was an exercise in imagining how and what it would be like if I happened to be, you know, initiated in the same spaces that my grandmothers were initiated. So this isn't a topic that's far from me. It's indeed very, very close. Um, I went to West Africa and my aunties were very much like, oh my God, you're an odd person. Like this, you know, you have not been, you're not really a woman. Not just that, but you're not, um, it's almost like there's something missing. When you're not initiated or have that procedure done to you. And I really wanted to make sense of that and how that would happen and what that involved. Um, so I I listened to a lot of stories and I started to collate this this this, you know, micro story of, you know, the process, why it is it happens, how we understand it from the past so I looked at it from the historical the historical relevance of it and then I came back to the modern days and what I see in modern times is that it's a complete exploitation of women and that's why the book is titled how to exploit people so now um when I analyze FGM I see it as a as a way for power and money You know, back in the old days, a young woman wasn't just initiated. She was taught and given tools about how to operate in the society, um, certain medicinal knowledge of how to look after children. From a cultural perspective, when you understand it, it's an empowering process. But that process doesn't match modern-day expectations of women um, particularly when it's a process where money and power is concentrated in a group of, you know, caretakers who reap a lot of benefits from causing a lot of harm and also not doing justice to those girls or women by passing on knowledge about their culture and knowledge about how to be woman because the whole process of it was that you would learn something that it's an exchange. You lose something, you gain something. Now there's no gain. There's no, there's, there's nothing. It's just pain and it's horror. So what a lot of people don't understand is when you're initiated, you also come under protection of a group of women that care for you, that look after you, that provide advice to you. You've got a safe space. Um, you've got a space of empowerment, which, let's face it, makes 
situations makes a life whole lot better when you're connected in a tight-knit group of women who have traditional knowledge to pass on. So I respect and admire that knowledge, that that um, that process, that cultural passing on, because it's beautiful. I think we should have that. If we can have that without the harm, perfect. I mean, I'd sign up for, I'd sign up for, when I say initiation, it sounds really culty, but that's not what I mean. I'd sign up for a time away in the forest to learn about who I am, the culture, because it's deeply, deeply empowering. It's, you know, I mean, if if a young girl was to grow up where she was around these incredibly strong women who taught her how to be in the world and helped her formulate her identity um, in a respectful way that ensured that she was capable and strong and wise, knew how to look after herself, knew how to look after a future family deal. I mean, I need to learn that. I mean, if if I could go to that school, you know, I would enroll in that. Um, The problem is that that doesn't exist anymore. It's just blood and brutality and, um, and no learning. I'm embarking on a really interesting life journey. I'm making my first film and it's really been quite um, a really huge learning experience. So I chose to make a, a film about human rights abuse and that experience by Tasmanians. And I didn't expect, like when I started intellectually, I knew what, what I was what I was going for, but I didn't expect to have such a visceral, emotional response to everything I was hearing. Like, it's almost like I, at the start of this this film and this journey, I separated my brain from my heart a bit and I thought, yes, executive producer, I'm going to line up all of these interviews and just go for it. Um, and then something started happening to me in the interviews. I've started to not take on the emotional burden completely, but I've started to to get a real world, almost physical understanding because I'm talking to people face to face, sometimes without cameras, sometimes with cameras. And it's really changed me in a fundamental way. So previously I'd talk about rights, rights, we all need them, everyone needs them. Um, no functioning society can exist without at least respect for human life. But I never understood the ways in which that emotionally affects people. And now I get it. And I get it on such a fundamental level that it's it's truly changed my perspective on how I want to live my life. So I guess it's kind of become a part of what makes me tick in that I, I I can no longer see human rights as this weird aspirational template or like, you know, top 10 things you can do to, you know, improve your career choices in law. Like I just, it just, it's not that for me anymore. It can never be. Um, it's, it's critical. It's of critical importance. And because I realized that it's not theoretical anymore. This is not 
you know, textbook stuff. This is not lectures and, and tutorials and fake discussion board posts. Um, it's real. The mark that I, I want to live on the world is to, to know that you can live a gentle life, a kind life, a happy life, and still be successful. Like you can, you can choose to be whoever you want to be, really. And as long as you're authentic and true to who that person is, if you stay true to it, you have to leave a mark on the world. It's who you are.